0: All right. Well, Mr. Montgomery, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. We realize you probably get these requests a lot and appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon to spend with us.
1: Yeah, glad to do it. Happy to uh, help in any way.
0: Dominic and I are students at Benedictine College in Addison, which is about 20 minutes northwest of Kansas City. We both are big baseball fans and appreciate all you've done for the sport and pastime we all love. We pulled together some questions for you specific to the Royals and MLB. But before we get into those questions, we'd like to know how you got your start with the Reds and especially the Royals and your stories again in MLB and getting drafted and going through the minors and what it was like.
1: Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a small town. Uh, I grew up a Reds fan. I grew up in Ohio and always wanted to play baseball. I uh, didn't realize that at some point I was going to be able to play professionally, but I guess deep down in, that was always a goal or maybe a, a dream of mine was to be able to play professional baseball. And if I had a choice, I would have played for the Cincinnati Reds. And um, my biggest goal as an amateur player essentially was to find a, a, an opportunity to play college baseball and get a scholarship, which I was able to accomplish that with uh, the Marshall University. And Uh, I had a really good first year. My second year was so-so. My third year, the year I was drafted, actually was my worst year. Um, I didn't have a good start to the season. I finished strong. And the last two games I pitched were against two really good teams, uh, University of Kentucky and Ohio University. Both of those teams had uh, prospects as far as the draft, the upcoming June draft uh, on their team. And I did well. And the scouts saw me pitch those days and basically invited me to a pre-draft workout at riverfront stadium in Cincinnati, which I attended. Um, I think I did well there. And, you know, a few weeks later, I'm a professional baseball player. So I just, it was really good timing for me as far as, uh, pitching well in those last two games in college and then getting drafted, didn't realize it was a long road ahead in the minor leagues, but basically, uh, spent five years of, you know, trying to climb the ladder each level from rookie ball to A ball to double A ball to triple A ball and then the major leagues. But um was able to accomplish that dream in 1987 uh, with the Reds. Uh, before the 88 season, I was traded to the Royals. Uh, spent my last 12 seasons with the Royals. And when I was traded, a lot of people felt like probably that was uh, disappointing to me, getting traded from the Reds to the Royals. But it was really Refreshing to me because I felt like I was going to have an opportunity to play uh, on a major league team instead of being probably being sent back to the minors with the Reds. So it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, I fortunately was able to, I guess I'll say, you know, capitalize or cash in on that opportunity and uh, kind of the rest was history. So that was uh, in a nutshell my career path as far as being a player uh, after my playing days. Uh, I started coaching amateur baseball in Kansas City. My two boys, uh, I started with one when he was 10. The other one, he was 11. I took them both through uh, up to their high school years. So I coached nine years uh, of amateur baseball in Kansas City, had a lot of fun doing it, met a lot of great people, uh, worked with a lot of really good young men. Uh, a few of those boys were able to accomplish college scholarships of their own. Uh, so it was really uh, rewarding to be able to do that. And then real out of nowhere, Uh, I was asked if uh, I would have any interest in being part of the world's television broadcast team. And since I had finished coaching my boys, I really didn't have anything going on in the summertime. And I uh, opted to uh, pursue that opportunity. And here we are 14 years later and I still do it and I love it. And uh, I don't know how much longer I'll do it, but there's no end in sight. That was one thing that I've noticed
0: is just through looking at all the sports, if there's a minor league team, I've noticed all these like players being able to like play really well for like their first team that drafted them. And then when they like go off to another team, then they always, everyone's like, Oh, are they going to do well? And they actually do better. That's just
1: something I've noticed throughout all the time I've looked at all the sports. I think one reason for that probably is um, players recognize their, uh, opportunity. And, you know, as an as an athlete, a professional athlete, it's uh, performance-based and uh, you obviously would not likely be traded from one organization to another um, if you were performing at the level that your previous uh, team expect you to perform at. They look at that opportunity maybe uh, for a change of scenery uh, and maybe it's something that works out for more than one player you plus a player that you're being traded for or, or the other you know the way they look for ways to maybe say hey we, we we see something there we can get a little bit more out of him for me example um, I was very successful in the minor leagues as a relief pitcher uh, my last season in minor leagues I became a starting pitcher I was actually promoted to the major leagues as a starting pitcher uh, didn't have many opportunities to start in the major leagues but uh, when I was trading to the Royals, they said, we really like you better as a relief pitcher. We're going to put you in the bullpen and you know, really kind of groom you as being a, a closer type. And I think that was one reason that my uh, performance elevated to the level I needed it to.
0: All right, so who are some of the players that were huge mentors to you or, a, or you were able to learn from and watch that helped you grow as a major league pitcher and baseball player during your playing career?
1: Oh, there were a lot of players, mostly pitchers. Uh, probably the one that comes out, you know, comes to my most would be Mark Ubaza. He was already an established major league pitcher with the Royals when I came over. Uh, another one was Steve Farr. Uh, Brett Saberhagen was very instrumental as well. Uh, and they didn't really help me as far as mechanics or pitches or anything of that nature. They just were uh, companions and they were teammates that uh, they stressed positives to me and they, they made me feel comfortable and, and believed in myself and uh, let me know that my stuff was certainly uh, good enough and I could play at that level for a long time. Uh, if I allow myself to go out and, and work hard, uh, continue to do all the little things you have to do to stay uh, at the top of your game. But they were just really uh, they were there for me. Uh, you know, those guys that established themselves, they had three or four years in the major leagues each. And, uh, you know, they I think they saw me as a player uh, kind of like they were when they came into the American League with uh, the Royals and, you uh, you know, George Brett was instrumental in their development and their careers. George, same with me. He was a guy, as a teammate, made you feel very welcome and comfort uh, as far as being on that team. It didn't matter if you had one day in the major leagues or if you had over 10 years in the major leagues. Uh, George treated everybody with uh, you know same amount of respect, and uh, he was just a very good teammate, very good leader, uh, so to speak. So uh, a lot of us modeled our uh, – you know our our locker room style and presence after George Brett.
0: Yeah, George and Brett Saberhagen, you know, all those guys were awesome. I've watched a lot of video of their highlights. Like George Brett was just a great hitter. Like right? the way, he, and also the leader he was for the city and the ambassador that he is.
1: Well, he was uh, just the model pro. I mean, I remember George got his three thousandth hit. It was early in my career and I, I, I bought him a gift. It was a uh, it's a desk clock. And on the back of it, I had engraved um, to George, congratulations on 300, the ultimate professional. And I think that really kind of summed it up that that's how we looked at George. He was the ultimate professional.
0: Was there a, this is kind of a similar question, but was there a person you weren't leaned on within the sports casting world for advice when you started in that role? and? And what's the best part of your job
1: covering the Royals and baseball as a whole? Well, it's covering the Royals is, um, you know, it's a privilege. Um, There aren't many people who have the opportunity to cover a Major League Baseball team. And the fact that I've been able to do it for the last 14 years, uh, I feel very fortunate. Uh, One person that really stands out from early on when I first started was Paul Splittorf, who, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was asked to be part of the broadcast team, it was a result of Paul Splitter uh, having some failing health issues and eventually led to his passing. Uh, he had battled cancer. Um, so Paul was very, um, I think knowledgeable and aware of the fact that he wasn't going to be around forever. And when I came over and started being part of the broadcast team, he really, uh, was helpful to me. I think he kind of recognized the fact that I potentially was going to be uh, the heir apparent to what he was doing. And, uh, you know, I always will uh, be thankful that he gave me the advice he gave me. Um, My partner, Joel Goldberg, he's been there for me from day one. Uh, I've done almost every broadcast that I've done over the last 14 years alongside Joel. And As a player who has no formal training in broadcast journalism, you essentially are thrown into the fire and you're not very polished. You're not very uh, prepared, so to speak, as far as a lot of the terminology in the industry and a lot of the way things go and the equipment and all the stuff that you have to learn kind of on the fly. So having someone like Joel who uh, he was a student, and uh, that you know, he studied broadcast journalism. He understood, and he had an education that you know really helped prepare him. But he was able to help me along the way, especially early on uh, during the broadcast, and even before and after broadcast. You know, preparing for them, and then afterwards maybe you know criticizing and critiquing, and helping find ways to improve and get better. Well, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, Joel does a great job with that. I also read his book as well. Like, he's a good writer, too, with his um, small ball, big results. Uh, yeah, and also, um, we know there have been many rules in baseball, so we thought we'd ask you a question. Yeah, so for that, what are your thoughts on the uh, new rules and on the pitch clock?
1: Well, I think they've been good for baseball. I think baseball really has transitioned a lot over the last couple of decades to where it became a game that uh, was more traditional with regards to um, using athleticism and stealing bases and hitting and running and bunting and manufacturing runs. And it just really kind of got to a point where it was uh, those, you know, those three outcomes. They were home runs, they were walks and they were strikeouts. And those were what really took – Uh, Took up the majority of the game, and I think it got a little stale. I think it got, um, uh, and one big reason for that was the shifts that they uh, team started utilizing with all the uh, the metrics available uh, as far as positioning players. So I think players decided, hey, if I can't hit it, you know, if I can't hit a line drive, uh, you know, to 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 right field and get rewarded with a hit, I'm just going to try to start hitting the ball over everybody's head for home runs, and it, it really changed the game. And I think was a change, uh, negative change. I think it really took away from the uh, traditional experience of Western baseball game. Plus, the games, you know, suddenly instead of two two and a half hour games, now suddenly they're mostly three three and a half hour games. And I don't think that's good for the game. I don't think it's good for a sport, especially for younger audiences that usually don't have three and a half hours to sit down and. And, and, and watch an entire game. I think uh, the pace of the play as a result of the pitch clock has really um, made the game uh, a lot more exciting to watch, a lot more fun. I think taking the shifts away has certainly uh, helped with regards to making it a more traditional game. Uh, the Obviously the, the larger bases have increased the amount of um, – stolen base attempts and, you know, create more of that traditional game. And, you know, the game times are like two and a half hours long now. So now this season, the Royals have one of the worst records in all of baseball over 40 games under 500. And I've worked almost every game of the season, but I can tell you that it has not been a bad season as far as being part of every one of those games and broadcast, because the pace of play of the game, it makes it more palatable and easier to sit there and watch a baseball game win, lose or draw, uh, you know, that the game is going to be filled with action. There's not going to be a lot of downtime where you're just sitting there waiting for the next pitch to be thrown.
0: Yes. Thank you. So who do you think has the best like ABT, like, Oh, like that shot of making the playoffs in each conference and who are some sleeper teams that you could see, Surprising us,
1: uh, I think the Braves probably have the best chance of of winning the World Series. Just when we saw them early in the season, they were uh, they were a team that was certainly one that was going to be uh, a team to be reckoned with. Uh, Tampa Bay started out playing great in the American League. Uh, they have kind of fallen off. They lost you know one of their best pitchers. and potentially going to lose their All Star shortstop. Uh, they seem to be going a little bit in the wrong direction. The team I think I'd keep my eye out for would be the Houston Astros or kind of right on the edge of coming back and taking over the division from the Rangers. The Rangers have been struggling here over the last week or so. I think the Rangers certainly see the Astros in the rearview mirror. And the Astros, with their history and the the changes in trades they made before the trade deadline, I think it's going to put the Astros in a real good position, probably to compete with the Braves for a World Series championship.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a for me, as a Diamondbacks fan, I'm just impressed to see even though the Diamondbacks are, like, almost 500, just seeing them being good nowadays is a little bit refreshing for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way they started the season, it was very impressive. And then they went on that, you know, that stage where they didn't play so well, but they're playing good baseball again, kind of putting themselves back into, you know, the uh, picture with regards to the wild card hunt. Yeah, they did.
0: Yeah, yeah that Corbin Carroll guy is really excited. me, I'm a Royals fan, so – Uh, And I remember I was going – I went to some of the World Series games back in 2015. And, like, I know a lot of fans are, like, talking about how they want those things. back. But I feel like it takes time for teams to get good. It doesn't start as – it doesn't start as quick as people think it should. Like, it takes a while. Of course, the payrolls are different in each market, so. Yeah, and people
1: don't think – that people, like, are like, oh, it's going to be a one-year rebuild. Rebuilds take years. Yeah, unfortunately, our rebuild's taking a lot longer than I think a lot of people had hoped. Um, but you have one player. I mean, you mentioned Corbin and Carroll. You 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 have one player uh, can be a huge difference maker. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. potentially can be that guy for the Royals. I mean, if you look uh, at you know teams across the across baseball that really turn things around, um, you know the Baltimore Orioles. It's a team that turned things around in a real uh, you know real quick fashion. And, you know, if you look back to players they have drafted, they've been instrumental uh, in making that happen.
0: All right. Well, before we let you go, we always like to ask professionals like yourself, do you have any advice for young adults like ourselves who are working toward a career in just sports or sports broadcasting or just any motivational advice you might have for people – even wanting to pursue a professional baseball career or in the process of playing in college or anything like that? Well,
1: I think I I learned a lesson very early in my career. And I think it was very helpful in me accomplishing my ultimate goal of playing major league baseball. And I think it really uh, pertains to about any career or any passion that one may have. Uh, So my, my first season in professional baseball, I had a manager, His name was Mark Bombard, and uh, we called him Bombi. And uh, at the end of my first season, my rookie season, I played for the Billings Mustangs. And he calls me in his office and basically gives me a little evaluation of what he saw for me during the course of my first season. And he said, one thing I think is very important. He goes, you're not a real big guy. You don't throw real hard. But he goes, I see some things with you that give you maybe an opportunity to, to advance career-wise to the top. And he said, I want you to promise yourself every day, you're going to do one thing better or do one thing to make yourself a better baseball player. So what I started doing was every day I would find one thing that I could do to make myself a better, uh, a better baseball player. And if you're going to be a, uh, a broadcaster, do one thing every day to make yourself a better broadcaster. Uh, If you're going to be a, Uh, computer scientists do one thing every day uh, to help you be a better computer scientist. If you're going to be a teacher, do one thing every day uh, to make yourself a better teacher. What happens is if you start doing this at a very young or early stage in your life, in your career, uh, there's one thing you should do every day over a long period of time, add up to be a lot of really big things. And that advice helped me probably as much as anything. And it's not just the advice, but it's adhering to it and, and being disciplined, uh, in order to go out and and, and do exactly what you promised yourself. I mean, you have to look at yourself in the mirror a lot of times and ask yourself, you know, was I as good as I could have been today? What did I do? Um, or what didn't I do that could make me better And, and learn from those mistakes? So I think just, um, being able to look at yourself and, 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 and identify those weaknesses, identify the strengths and play, you know, whatever you have as far as your, your best attributes and strengths, play those to the best of your abilities. Uh, Just like an athlete who has tremendous running speed, uh, use that speed to help yourself be a better ball player and help your team win games. Uh, If you have, you know, the, the, the gift of gab, and you're a journalist. You know, use that gift to make yourself a better journalist. Just all those little things to me are very important. Uh, now, there are some, whether it be athletes or other uh, careers and professions, where people are just so enormously gifted, they don't have to work quite as hard. But I can promise you, uh, most athletes that play at a very high level, uh, they are both gifted and they work hard uh, to accomplish their goals.
0: All right, well, Mr. Montgomery, thank you so much for spending a part of your afternoon with us discussing your career, your memories of baseball and broadcasting, your thoughts on Major League Baseball. It's been great, and I wish you the best
1: with the rest of this amazing MLB season. Thanks, guys, and I want to wish you the best of luck, and thank you for having me a part of your afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good one.